Thank you for listening to TMA's Practice Well podcast. TMA, helping you improve the health of all Texans. TMA has a long, proud history of promoting patient rights, advocating for physicians, and providing real solutions for your practice. We can accomplish so much when we unite in one voice. Call the TMA Knowledge Center at 1-800-880-7955 or visit TexMed.org to find out how you can join or renew your membership today. Did you know that you can claim CME credit for many of the TMA Practice Well podcasts? Just go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME to go. That's www.texmed.org forward slash C-M-E-T-O-G-O to register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME. Policies and Standards of the Texas Medical Association, the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, and the American Medical Association require that speakers and planners for continuing medical education activities disclose any relevant financial relationship they may have with commercial entities whose products, devices, or services may be discussed in the content of the CME activity. The planners and speakers of this program have nothing to disclose. Please be advised that the information and opinions presented as part of this podcast should not be used or referred to as a primary legal source and does not replace the advice of your health care attorney. Hi, I'm Cheryl Kroviak. I manage the Texas Medical Association's Education Center, where through webinars, publications, and podcasts with CME2Go, we strive to provide physicians a reliable resource to help you and your practice thrive. An often overlooked risk to your practice financial health is employee theft and embezzlement. It's a sad and disappointing reality, and working with TMA consultants, I'm surprised at how often they find this when they conduct a practice checkup. I've invited Molly Melman, a TMA practice consultant with 10 years experience in healthcare, to talk about preventing and protecting your practice against employee theft and embezzlement. Molly has worked with hospitals and specialty-based outpatient practices. She has expertise in financial reporting and analysis, budget forecasting, productivity optimization, operational efficiencies, and strategic planning. Molly, thank you for speaking with me today. Thanks for inviting me, Cheryl. Sure. 
As I mentioned, I'm surprised at how often I hear that the consultant is doing a practice finance checkup and finds signs of employee theft and embezzlement. Is this really a common occurrence? Medical practices suffer from one of the highest embezzlement rates of all service industries. In fact, some experts estimate that three out of four physicians could be victims of embezzlement at least one time during their career. Many physician offices lack even basic financial checks and balances that help prevent fraud and cash mishandling. Embezzlement can happen from dishonest employees taking advantage of a busy office with trusting physicians. It often starts small, a pocketed $25 copay here, an inflated vendor invoice there. When the first swipe goes unnoticed, employee theft in a medical practice can expand quickly to schemes involving hundreds of thousands of dollars. According to a recent study, 83% of the medical practices polled had been victim of employee theft or embezzlement. When you work closely with a person every day, it's hard to imagine that person stealing from you. While we would all like to believe our employees are honest, cash transactions especially create temptation for many employees. To help secure your office, it is important to understand the common types of embezzlement and the best prevention measures. Okay, so let's start there with the data around embezzlement. How much can be stolen in a medical practice? The Association of Certified Fraud Examiners reviewed 554 embezzlement cases. In those cases, they reviewed a median loss of $325,000. Of those 554 cases, 7% represented the healthcare industry. Even though healthcare only accounted for 7% of total cases, they had the second highest median loss of $446,000. That's a lot of money and important to note. The biggest loss reported in those cases was $3.7 million. It was a theft through a credit card and check scheme by an office manager at an orthopedic clinic in Washington, D.C. Although thieves come in all shapes and sizes, sexes, ages, and backgrounds, there are some recurring patterns. The data shows the average age of the perpetrator was 47.9 years old, with nearly a third of 31.8% between the ages of 40 and 49. Over a six-year period, 61% were women. Most perpetrators, 71%, held positions in finance or accounting. And what does that data say about why people steal? The, fi the findings found 60% of people steal for a more lavish lifestyle. 24% steal due to gambling debts, but only 4% steal out of necessity. The most eye-opening data shows only 5% had prior criminal records or history of any fraudulent activity. Out of all the employees that steal, 38% have been employed with the same practice for more than 10 years. So you may be asking yourself, how is this missed? What is the rationale? The common beliefs in most practices are, the office manager is on top of it, or my staff have been me for years, or we do background checks, or even thieves are disgruntled, my people are happy, or even I would know. 
Yes, medical practices are close-knit. I can see how easy it is to think along those lines. This explains why theft is so high in medical practices and so often missed. So what are signs or operational red flags physicians should look for? Great question, Cheryl. First off, look at diminishing cash flow when receipts are strong. This is a major indicator. Check the actual bank deposits in a month that don't agree with payments posted to the practice management system. Look at increasing accounts payable and accounts receivable balances and transactions lacking documentation or approval. Furthermore, patient and payer complaints about recording of payments should be a red flag. Review your accounting books and see if there's a significant number of year-end adjustment journal entries or poor accounting record. Fraud-prone offices generally have weak or loosely enforced internal controls. These offices view profit as the only practice objective and the loan criteria for performance appraisal. They place employees under great stress to accomplish unrealistic goals and consequently have low employee morale. These practices have several complaints from patients, vendors, and employees that have been habitually ignored. Don't let this be your practice. Good point. Let's talk about some common forms of employee theft now. What are some examples? Some examples of embezzlement are employees creating fake companies, stealing petty cash, or giving themselves bonuses or raises, overstating hours worked, using credit cards for personal expenses, and even writing checks. I'd like some details on that. Can you give some specifics on these examples? Let's start with the most volatile issue, cash. In any business dealing with cash, there should be strict protocols. Employees can easily pocket patient payments made in cash or have personal use of petty cash. On top of petty cash, some offices have change drawers. This allows the office to make change for a patient when paying in cash. Typically, change drawers should not be over $100. Make sure to monitor both petty cash and cash drawers. Keep cash locked in a drawer. Whoever is taking cash in your practice should have another employee account for that cash. All cash should be tracked with amounts and date of collection. Not only the full total amount, but how many specific bills you have. For example, at the end of the day, there were four $20 bills, one $10 bill, and two $5 bills. Always have this amount add up to the beginning of the cash balance. If there are any variances, this needs to be accounted for daily. There should always be two people involved in making change for cash or taking cash from payments. Having two individuals act as a check and balance. If you have a larger staff, make sure someone in a leadership position, such as an office manager or practice administrator, sign off on monthly cash transactions. It is a good idea to perform random audits on cash accounts. Always have staff track and label specifically cash to the patient record in your electronic medical record. Regularly give a receipt to a patient in any financial transaction, especially cash. I can see how easy it would be to dip into petty cash if the drawers aren't reconciled daily. 
What else can physicians do to protect their practice? You can protect your practice by establishing a formalized system of controls for monitoring money. One aspect of this is separating financial responsibilities among your staff as much as practical, so they become accountable to each other. For example, do not give any one employee complete control over the entire sequence of cash transactions. Employees who receive payments from patients in person or through the mail or otherwise handle cash should not have access to patient accounts receivable or be responsible for making the bank deposit. The individual who reconciles the bank statement each month should not be the one who writes checks. You, the physician, should sign all practice checks. For larger medical group, require two signatures, one that being the physician. A real-life example around check fraud happened in a small practice of one physician based in Austin. The office manager created a fake checking account with the last name of United. She was able to deposit every check from United Healthcare into her personal account. Luckily, after a few weeks, this was caught, but it can show you the extent a person is willing to steal and how easy that was. Also, avoid using signature stamps. Require staff to bring bank statements to you unopened or have the bank statements sent to your home address. Make sure you have the master access to the bank accounts online. Require that someone other than the card user must approve a credit card purchase. Rotate job responsibilities among employees if possible. This not only ensures that someone can step into a job in case of emergency, but also deters embezzlement when potential perpetrators know that someone else will do their job for a set period of time. Set and enforce vacation policies. Some practices require that employees take at least five consecutive days off for vacation so that a cross-trained staff member can do their job in the absence. Employees who never take vacation can be a red flag for fraud. Embezzlement schemes require constant vigilance from the perpetrator. That's a really good point. It's great to have dedicated, reliable staff, but everybody needs time off to recharge. And when you think about it, it would be odd to have an employee that never takes off. In what other ways does embezzlement occur? This is another common form of employee theft that lies within accounts payable. Individuals can make fake invoices from fake vendors and make payments on those. Make a list of all the vendors you use. If there's a name you're unfamiliar with, ask what service this is for. For vendors that you use regularly, it may be a good idea to set up auto pay on a credit card. It's considered best practice to check all your vendors on an annual basis and see if their services are still needed or could be renegotiated for a better rate. The next common form of embezzlement is payroll. Employees can falsify hours worked within a week. They can also falsify reports used for bonus calculations or overtime calculations. Paying time and a half on an employee can add up quickly and negatively affect the practice's financials. Make sure to have a policy around overtime for the office. Have this updated in your policies and procedures manual. Generally, all overtime needs to be approved by an office manager or the physician before it happens. 
This way, it will not be a surprise when your payroll for the month is higher than it should be. If you utilize temporary workers, fake employees, or contract labor can be falsified. You may be saying to yourself, how would I not know about a fake employee? And my answer would be, you'd be surprised. I ran a small endocrinology practice with two physicians. We had a few months where we could not keep a steady medical assistant and scribes. Sometimes temporary workers show for a day or even a half day. Sometimes you can keep them for the whole week. With that short of a time period, you are quick to forget names. Invoices for temporary workers usually come about two to four weeks after they worked in the practice. When it comes time to pay those hours, human nature kicks in and you just pay all the invoices. Most temps or contracted workers are not in your system and reporting is paper-based. Be mindful of this. Keep detailed records on a calendar and always double check. For your full-time or part-time employed team members, try using a payroll software that makes employees punch in and punch out. Having employees attest to these hours regularly or report overtime on a weekly basis. Another form of embezzlement can be identity theft. Employees can steal credit card information or medical records. It's easy as taking a picture of your credit card and then going online and running up a huge tab. I had my credit card stolen last month and someone rang up $8,000 in charges at walmart.com. My first reaction, how can they physically spend that much at Walmart? The amount of money stolen from credit cards can be shocking, even at low-end retailers. In order to circumvent this, never have staff write down credit card numbers or take pictures of the card. The credit card should be swiped, inserted, or documented in real time into a credit card processing browser. Do not keep credit card information stored on accounts or documented in real time. Keep in mind, most EMRs do not have this feature. Only a few like Epic have been rolling this out recently. Employees can also incorrectly write off or adjust patient balances. It's important to have a stopgap in place in your EMR that makes employees sign a write-off code to the write-off or require manager approval to do so. A list of write-off codes that are common practice are, for example, contractual write-off, sequestration, which is reduction in federal payment, patient responsible due to deductible, patient responsible due to coinsurance, patient responsible due to copay, patient responsible for a non-covered charge, or even cash pay discount. Having codes assigned to write-offs are imperative. Every month you can pull a report and see if there are any trends in write-offs. If you don't have a code assigned, you are merely running blind in your practice. Employees can also process refunds in the wrong amount or to themselves. Just like with write-offs, have a list of refund codes as well. Make sure checks are stamped immediately with for deposit only. Make deposits daily and keep copies of deposit slips. Never, and I will say this again, never sign a blank check. Require an invoice or documentation for each check you sign. Have the bank statements sent to your home or to your CPA. Give patients a receipt for every single financial transaction. Got it. Now let's talk about some of the more subtle types of employee theft. What does this look like in the practice? Another item 
that is mostly overlooked in offices are your supplies and services. Inappropriate use of printing and treading services for personal use can add up. I had a practice once where a receptionist would bring a large box of paper documents from her car to the back of the office every day unnoticed. With our paper company charging $30 per box destruction, she added $900 to our cost one month. This is a large hit to small practices with small margins. On top of office supplies, think about medical equipment or drug stored in a practice. Two years ago, I had a dermatology practice decide to leave the hospital system I was working with, and they began as a private practice. During the transition of their move, their entire stock of Botox went missing. This was thousands and thousands of dollars and could not be accounted for. Another item employees have their eye on are prescription pads. I had an employee steal a pad. Instead of selling the entire pad, he sold each individual prescription one at a time. He had studied the physician's signature so well, it wasn't detected for years. However, pharmacies started to flag large quantities and would confirm with the office. From then on, we had to make a legal complaint, work with drug enforcement officers, and most of our prescriptions were always checked. This one pad caused the office hours and hours and unnecessary paperwork and coordination with law enforcement. Luckily, online prescription paper pads are quickly becoming an online item of the past. Remember to always have your prescription pads locked up and accounted for. If not, it could cost you. I can see now why medical practices have such high medians of loss. Let's switch gears now and talk about preventing embezzlement. What do you recommend? Yes, in order to prevent embezzlement in the first place, here are some common practices and pre-employment items that should be on your to-do list. First, practices should conduct detailed background checks and drug testing on all employees. When running a background check, we screen for past address history, any previously used names, and criminal histories in the last three to five counties. We do this to verify the employee and make sure this has never happened in the past. We also run a detailed credit history. As we stated in the beginning, 24% of thefts that occurred are due to employees being in debt. Staff should be informed that the company takes a zero-tolerance policy on theft and that all thefts will be reported to law enforcement. All bills or envelopes should be provided to the practice owners unopened. Employees should not be allowed to take work home. Bookkeeping, accounting, and all financial duties should be separated. Review all canceled checks and look for unusual patterns such as dual endorsements or an unfamiliar vendor name. Do not give any one employee complete control over the entire sequence. Give one key employee access to cash. Segregate financial transactions so that employees who keep accounting records do not handle receipts or perform cash disbursements. Set up checks and balances to have a regular oversight from the CPA. Consider requiring business office employees to undergo the bonding process. Hire an outside accounting agency to perform periodic financial audits. Embezzlement controls should extend to policies for writing checks and handling bank statements, incoming checks, and payroll. 
adequate supervision, a system of internal checks and balances, hosting transactions in a timely manner, as well as an overall emphasis on the integrity of your practice, all help create an environment that invites honesty. When hiring, um, conduct through interviews, check references, and perform those proper background checks. Pay attention and trust your instincts. Be involved, be visible to your employees, and if something seems odd, check it out. Remember, do not blindly trust, get involved. Randomly ask for reports, know how to read those reports, look for trends, ask questions, and meet regularly with the responsible employees. If division of labor is impractical in your small practice, arrange for a review of all work quarterly or more. At very least, focus your controls on tasks that relate to cash, such as opening mail and making bank deposits, because handling cash offers the most temptation and opportunities for embezzlement. Wow, there really are a lot of opportunities where an employee could steal. But why would someone steal? I'm sure there's something that leads into this. There are several factors that can contribute to embezzlement, but there is a common top three. First off, opportunity. For some, the opportunity to steal is too hard to resist. Having one trusted employee handling the daily transactions combined with a hands-off position is opening the door to theft. Typically, the biggest opportunity to steal involves weakness in internal controls. The next major reason, pressure. Trying to keep up with the Joneses can add pressure to steal. As stated earlier, 60% of why people steal is to have a more lavish lifestyle. Or perhaps an employee's spouse lost his or her job, or the employee is battling an addiction problem, or just drowning in debt. And a very popular reason in toxic work environments is rationalization. These will typically rationalize their reasons to steal. They may tell themselves, well, I deserve a raise, or I'm just going to borrow the money and pay it back. Or I saw another employee do it. I was not reprimanded or not even caught. So what are some red flags or signs that an employee may be stealing? Great question, Cheryl. There are several signs that an employee may be stealing. Sometimes they can be confusing. An employee who never takes time off or always works alone. If an employee is unwilling to let another employee do their work when they are gone. Or if an employee always stays late or has extended hours. You may be thinking those are positive traits, but they should raise a red flag. Embezzlers frequently act possessive towards their work area devices, and tasks. Why most employees don't enjoy an invasion of privacy, an embezzler may overreact if someone touches their computer or accesses their files. Make sure your company policy makes it clear that employee workspaces belong to the organization, not to them, and perform and check devices if you uh, suspect misconduct. Other more obvious items are new cars, a new boat, a new house, designer clothing, jewelry. As an employer, you know each employee's salary. So when someone who makes $50,000 a year rolls up in a new Tesla or takes a month-long vacation to Bali, you may want to investigate. If an employee's standard of living increases suddenly into a 
degree that is noticeably above their means, they could be embezzling company funds. Some embezzlers are motivated by greed, but others turn to stealing out of distress. Take note of employees experience financial hardships such as divorce, debt, or medical emergencies. Offer support as you can, but stick to your anti-fraud policies regardless of an employee's financial situation. Also take note if an employee is dealing with an addiction. This is one of the most sensitive warning signs of embezzlement. Not every employee with an addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, or gambling, will steal from their employer. However they spend excessively to fuel their addiction, they may turn to embezzling to stay financially afloat. Molly, earlier you said three out of four physicians experienced theft at one time. What happens when an employee steals and what should physicians do? First step, if you expect an employee from embezzling, you need to gather your evidence and call your attorney. I will say that again, call your attorney. If your attorney doesn't specialize in employment crime or employment law, ask for a reference to an attorney who does specialize in that area. Evidence can be financial reports, electronic medical record, audit trail, or profit and loss statements. Be mindful to not make changes to your banking, vendor, or systems. These kinds of actions, as smart as they seem, is exactly what your staff member is watching for. Be sure to not alert your staff and continue business as normal. It's a good idea to bring in outside advisors to run an assessment. Do not bring in those outside advisors during normal working hours. Remember to keep your emotions in check. It's natural to feel angry and betrayed when a trusted employee steals from you. Those emotions lead to bad decision-making and can tip off an embezzler. Communicate clearly. If you start a legal proceeding over this, everything you say or email potentially can turn up in court. Even after you fire the embezzler, be cautious of how you speak about them in their absence. Lawsuits have succeeded on lesser things. Lastly, do not contact law enforcement yet. This will panic your staff and make it much harder for you to catch the embezzler. Approach law enforcement once your lawyer and other outside advisors feel you have enough evidence. Once you have enough evidence, get authorities involved, document the formal complaint, and prosecute if possible. Embezzlement of property, money, or services worth more than $950 is considered grand theft. A conviction carries a jail sentence of up to one year and is considered a misdemeanor, but state prison time of 16 months, two, or three years is also possible for felony grand theft. If the theft is larger than $950, ask for the fraud division within the police department. Talk to them about the facts of the case and what went on. The police will send a packet with a list of documentation and bank records needed to prosecute. Once they receive that documentation, they may need to subpoena for additional bank records. If they feel a theft has occurred, they will go forward and prosecute. Historically, medical practices do not prosecute. The varying reasons are legal fees and time. It generally takes about one to two years. They often feel embarrassed and feel sorry for the embezzler. It's important to know if the practice knows someone is stealing and doesn't report it, the employee will go to work for another physician 99% of the time. 
be prepared and have this policy in your policy and procedure manual. Termination in the event of theft is the only option. The studies show that while 83% of embezzlers in medical practice are terminated from their job, only 29% of those are prosecuted. This is a tough situation, knowing that staff who embezzle and are not prosecuted will go on to work in another practice. Other than operational controls, what can physicians do to protect their practice? There are several kinds of insurance that may be helpful to your practice. Your property insurance includes basic crime coverage up to $25,000. There is also employee bond insurance. An employee dishonesty bond is a type of insurance covered that protects businesses from losses caused by employee dishonesty, theft, and fraud. It covers the theft of your company's own money, securities, and property. The policy generally costs around $200 to $500 a year. If you have a larger practice with more than 12 physicians, you may want to investigate directors and officers' liability insurance. The cost of a director's and officer's liability insurance, most often referred to as D&O, varies depending on your industry, revenue, debt, and legal history. For small to mid-sized companies, the cost of a director's and officer's insurance policy typically ranges from $3,000 to $10,000 per year for each $1 million in coverage. Molly, thank you for having this frank discussion today. Do you have any closing tips or thoughts you want to share? I'll close with this. Medical practices are vulnerable to embezzlement because they typically are a cash business run by a close-knit staff that physicians tend to regard as family. If you're looking for more ways to improve the business side of your practice, TMA Practice Consulting Team is here to help. Our consultants can perform a variety of services to meet your unique needs. We offer an embezzlement risk review, which includes a review of cash handling and inventory control procedures, and a comparison of your profit and loss statement to benchmarks. You will receive a written report with recommendations for improvement within 30 days of the assessment. Embezzlement control is just one part of a continuum of financial policies that every practice should have in place. If you need help in this area, call a TMA consultant today for expert recommendations and guidance. Contact TMA Practice Consulting at 800-523-8776 or visit www.consulting.texmed.org. Thank you, Molly. And to our listeners, Check the episode description for contact information that Molly's provided. Like and follow to receive more practice help like today's episode. Until next time, stay well. To claim CME for today's program, go to www.texmed.org forward slash CME. T-O-G-O. Register for your podcast and follow the instructions to claim CME.